Welcome to Mercola Healthy Pets Integrative Veterinary Medicine Awareness Week. I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and as a part of our 10-year anniversary celebration, I'll be interviewing some pretty amazing colleagues who practice integrative and functional medicine. Starting this week, you can also nominate your vet or a local rescue or an inspiring individual in your community to be the recipient of our new Healthy Pets Game Changer Award. I hope that you'll tune in every day this week to be inspired and educated by passionate healers from around the world. And don't forget to nominate that special someone that you know that has gone above and beyond to help animals. Again, thank you so much for your support. Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and helping me celebrate Integrative Veterinary Medical Awareness Week is the one and only Dr. Jean Dodds. Thank you, Dr. Dodds, for joining me. My pleasure. This is great. You just uh, were a part of some One Health initiatives, and I'm excited to learn all that you have learned. Back up and tell our listeners or readers a little bit about this concept of One Health Medicine and why it's so critically important, especially right now. That's a good question. And of course, we have the um, insight from two people that visited uh, Washington, D.C., um, Dr. Ferrer and Dr. Thompson. And I totally agree with their perspective. I mean, veterinarians, if anything, have been practicing One Health Medicine since the get-go, because our job is to work within the community and various disciplines. And what we do is we we take um, medical histories from our patients. We find out about their household situations. We found out about the environment they live in. We ask about their lifestyle. We talk to them about why they chose a particular pet parent, their particular pet parent for a particular pet. Um, we talk about livestock. We talk about how we play a role in emergencies and disasters like COVID-19 now, um, how we help integrate all of the other medical disciplines because we see it from both the animal's perspective and the human perspective. And, and it's interesting because I think that doctors, human medical doctors working with veterinarians, working with nurses, working with veterinary technicians, this is something that uh, the human side hasn't necessarily incorporated, but especially pertaining to COVID-19, it would serve everyone in the health community very, very well to begin a stronger, more direct and succinct dialogue because we can apply the knowledge we're learning in other sectors much better, faster, quicker if we're having broader conversations with everyone working independently in their own little spheres. You've been a part of this for a long time. Yes. And I think part of the problem is that many physicians, and we have those in my own direct family, uh, think that animals are a source of zoonotic disease. And so they worry about what animals are going to do to their human patients when we're not worried about that at all. We use common sense. We know how to deal with that. We worry about things that people can give animals. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we, you know, we do need to integrate better. We need to understand each other better. We need to teach it better in medical colleges, in graduate schools, and in veterinary schools as well. So this concept of One Health Medicine is something you have been incorporating for quite some time. I know that you, you, know, you, do, quite, you do lecture to, to he, our human colleagues as well as our veterinary colleagues, but you also early on in your career, Dr. Dodds, in addition to this concept of One Medicine, different species, but same conceptual medicine, you also adapted this concept of holism. And how did that come about for you particularly? Because you graduated from veterinary school quite conventionally trained. 
was it just your inquisitive nature that you needed to know more about things that you didn't learn? Or how did you come about adapting a much broader perspective than you graduated with? That's very interesting. Uh, I've been a veterinarian for 56 years, and I don't intend to retire until the good Lord above tells me it's time, whatever that is. But what happened was, when I was a veterinary student, I was involved in taking care of animals that were born with bleeding diseases like hemophilia and von Willebrand's disease. And of course, those were issues in people as well, of course. Um, and then we found out that these diseases were quite prevalent within certain families of purebred dogs, also in cats and horses. And so as a hematologist and also an immunologist at that time uh, at the New York State Department of Health, there was no physician to run the blood program for humans for the state of New York when AIDS and blood safety became so critical in the late 70s and early 80s. And so I was given the position by the Commissioner of Health, uh, David Axelrod, uh, who's passed since then. Um, and I had to go throughout the state of New York telling physicians and psychiatrists to treat these patients humanely, give them compassion. It wasn't a highly contagious disease, et cetera. <laughs> Excuse me. And then one day I decided, wait a minute. Um, it's more than just blood and the immune system involved. It's the whole body involved. And we need to take a more um, holistic, holism, with a W, approach to helping people heal when we use conventional medicine or holistic medicine or all other alternative medicine modalities. And in 1977, I was first invited to the Holistic Veterinary Medical Group before it was officially formed to talk about vaccine issues that I had been working on for 40 years, along with, uh, well, not then, 30 years, along with Dr. Ronald Schultz. And I can remember thinking that when I went to the group, Karen, that they would have ponchos and sandals and beads and they would boo-woo-woo. And I thought, oh my God, this is terrible. When I got up there to speak to the group, I said, you know what? I better tell them what I'm thinking because I know they know what I'm thinking. So I told them what I thought that I was ashamed to feel this way. And that somebody said, oh, I've got sandals on. Somebody else said, I'm wearing beads. And the third person said, here's my poncho. And we laughed. And at that point, I became a holistic alternative medicine veterinarian. Yeah. But I think a really important point is that you didn't ditch all that conventional wisdom that you gained through traditional medical training. You know, what we learned in veterinary school is fantastic for managing infectious diseases and acute traumatic illnesses. I, I was not well equipped when I graduated from veterinary school on how to manage lifestyle related diseases at, at all. So I think integrative medicine is not the ditching of anything. It's the no. adding to. Correct. Jean, you've also been criticized. So talk to me a little bit about where you see conventional colleagues. Do you think it is their fear of not learning beyond veterinary school that causes the defensiveness and then the fear and then the criticism? Where do you think that the breakdown comes in when it comes to uh, our colleagues understanding we're just trying to add enough tools that we become the best doctors we can? I think the problem is there's so much new knowledge, they can't, they can't fit it into the curriculum, okay? When they get to clinical medicine, all uh, students want to do is deal with clinical medicine and less with the science of it. We have to keep both in mind. There's no question that even though I um, practice integrative veterinary medicine today, I have not left the science or the medical background, and I keep up to date all the time. I read all the literature I can get a hold of, because all those things fit 
and they have to be applied somehow when we deal with alternative modalities. Now, the other problem, Karen, is we have some very outspoken veterinarians in our profession that diss us all the time, especially the ladies that are involved in alternative medicine. We get picked upon over and over and over again, and there, the um, what should I say? Almost sarcasm involved. It's not healthy for any of us. We need to have an open mind. We need to show that conventional practices, as they add more veterinarians, will often include someone who has an interest in holistic care and alternative modalities. I mean, many veterinary practices use acupuncture and acupressure and laser therapy and other things today that they didn't do. And we do herbal medicine all the time. We add supplements. We add Western medicine herbs. We use Chinese medicine herbs. We do all kinds of things. We do digital thermal imaging. There's lots of things that veterinarians do in private practice today, working with the local community, uh, with specialists if necessary, to practice holism. Yeah. And you know, one step beyond holism that I know is a, a, a I don't want to say a new passion of yours, but something that you are speaking about with somewhat more regularity is regenerative agriculture and the the role of as veterinarians despite the fact that the the earth is very much a living thing including the soil the microbiome of the soil talk to talk to me a little bit about um how how you become passionate about this concept of regenerative agriculture as it plays into us as veterinarians and our role in terms of stewarding the earth and its inhabitants well, I think it comes from the fact that I've been a vegetarian, as as my husband, for over 40 years now. And we realize that we can not only survive, we can thrive. And you start worrying about what's happening to the ozone layer, all the pollution, what's happening to the sea, what's happening to our, our soil, to our climate. We were recently in southern Chile, where the Mapuche Indian tribe are totally, um, they grow their own herbs. They grow their own vegetables. They grow everything. And they believe in the spirit rather than a god, which is very interesting. The spirit in the sky, the spirit in the earth, and the spirit in the sea. And the perspective of other cultures raises your awareness to become passionate about eco-degradation. I mean, half of all the uh, greenhouse gases and the deforestation um, that's happening is because of livestock production, okay? And a half of that, it, well, also deforestation because we're encroaching on lands all the time for more grazing and whatever. So we're, we're denuding our forests. Um, we're, we're not having sustainable agriculture. The beef and lamb make up about a 16th of the global gases that occur. Um, their cultures, 80% of the world, according to the World Health Organization, depends upon plant-based medicines. That's amazing, and mostly in those countries that are not considered, quotes, as developed as ours. And so beef and lamb increase the methane production that denudes the soil of nutrients. We have to have sustainable agriculture. We have to have regenerative agriculture. It has to be available. It has to be affordable. And we have alternate food sources. So what do we do with sustainable agriculture? We grow vertical vegetable farms. We grow my, uh, mushrooms and microbial fermentation as sources of foods. Um, we do solar, we change our solar footprint. Um, we, do, we do all kinds of different things. We make protein powders and protein drinks. We have alternate food sources like seaweeds and the related macroalgae. There's a whole culture in edible seaweeds that are really, really good for us. And then we have insects. 
um, alternative food sources with insects, like certain cultures do grasshoppers, locusts, uh, weevils, wasps, whatever, and they're mostly in the oriental countries, but it's changing. What's our problem in North America with things like uh, insects as alternative food sources? It's a cultural um, concern. Um, people find it um, disgusting to be eating insects. Well, if we can make them into powders, why not? Okay, you won't, they won't look like an insect. And then we have the need to sustain fish, um, pigs and poultry. And we're using a lot of, uh, destroying a lot of fish, for example, to feed livestock. So we definitely have to think about alternative food sources that are regenerative, sustainable, affordable, and available in amounts that the world can use to sustain itself. So one of the, along the insect vein, uh, I have turned to insect protein for some of my most allergic patients with really stellar results. You're kind of the um, food sensitivity queen. Talk to me a little bit about, I, I would assume that you are not seeing the hypersensitivities to other types of, let's say, proteins that you've seen in the past. Do you foresee that insects could become this novel protein that most veterinarians are always in search of? I think so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the the, the part of the problem with the insensitivities or intolerance to foods today is the whole thing about gluten intolerance, which animals clearly have as well. And also the fact that people don't realize that if the meat that they eat is grain fed, the residues of those grains in the flesh of the meat that their animals are eating or they're eating can be reactive. And so we want to sustain grass fed foods. But then we have the problem, what about glyphosate and other herbicides and pesticides that are used on uh, plant life, for example? I mean, the only way you can avoid glyphosate, which is Roundup, of course, is to eat organic foods because it's everywhere. So we have glyphosate, we have chlorpyrifos, and we have dicambra. So those um, fertilizers and pesticides, they're being banned more and more in European countries and South American countries like Brazil. But America has been behind the, the, the times in this. We are not looking at this carefully enough, in my opinion. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. And it's interesting. I um, was recently uh, attacked from kind of the conventional skeptical community about suggesting a detox protocol for dogs. And my thought is, you know, I live in North America. I myself, even though I'm in a green home and I'm vegetarian, I know that my, uh, and I take a shower regularly to rinse some of those environmental chemicals off, but our pets don't necessarily have that break. So their, their toxin load, not only coming in from their food, but their immediate environment is quite high. So it makes sense to me that we would institute some level of detoxification. And yet even these common sense strategies, like periodically giving your body a break from chemicals or periodically offering a means for your dog or cat to assist in detoxification, they're met with, um, from sometimes, from our conventional colleagues with a lot of animosity. Where do you think some of these, where do you think the hostility among 
doctors comes from? Do you think it's just lack of education or do you think it's lack of tolerance of an alternative viewpoint? Where Do you think we're at a point in humanity where we can have enough conversation where we can move past this and, and agree to have diff differing viewpoints that actually makes our entire community stronger because it provides our client base all of these opportunities to be able to plug into where they best align with? I mean, what do you think is going on? And what's the state of our profession when it comes to how our colleagues interact? Well, part of the problem is the media, you know, the media's job is to sell whatever they're selling. And so we have the people that are uh, outriders on either side, the vaccine, uh, anti-vacciners, the vaccine hesitant group, the, like you're talking about, the alternative cleansing thought process. All of these are, we have to focus on the majority of the individuals that we need to, to teach about this, not necessarily educate, expose them to the positive aspects. And many people are trying these things on themselves because they're afraid. They don't feel 100% healthy. They're seeing things that might work for them. They're trying them on themselves. And if it helps, then they're going to try them on their pets. So what we have to do is stop this uh, disdain almost for those of us that practice um, holism with a hand in each camp to try to integrate everything. And so I don't know if it's educational. I think veterinarians are frightened. They feel that what we do could be taking away their livelihood because clients are going to leave them and uh, come to us instead. We, we have a holistic clinic at Hemopet, and we have two full-time and one part-time holistic veterinarian and myself, and we don't take clients away from the conventional practices. We teach them how we can all work together, and so far, it's worked very well. We haven't had a problem with that at all, and we are teaching others, and when some veterinarians in the community poo-poo what we're doing, the people leave there. They go to other clinics that will work with us, and that's what we need to encourage. Very wise words. Jean, if you could, uh, if in, in closing, if you could give a word of wisdom or an idea or a thought or a reflection to both our veterinary colleagues as well as potentially pet parents, what would be, what would be a, a parting thought? You, would like to you, you need to be passionate about what you believe in. You need to follow your mission. Um, Yes, I became more interested in what I'm doing in the last half of my career and forever in doing things that are different and thinking outside the box. We have to be compassionate. We have to assure that our uh, patients get quality of life and we have to give them dignity. Gone are the times where the animal has to stay alive even if it's suffering and doesn't want to be here anymore because the people can't um, cope with the thought of not having that animal anymore. They have to realize that these animals are there with us to help us. We're their stewards and we need to look after them. Good, good information. And as always, Jean, thank you for joining me, spreading the word, mission, and love about all things integrative medicine. I appreciate your vast contribution to our profession. Thank you, Karen. We love you.